1: True owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past, present, and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty.
2: Radio, radio this is 3CR
3: Breakfast.
2: Oh, Alternative news, analysis, Clap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8:30am.
3: Early double. Clap Clap your, your hands. Hands. <laughs>
1: Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Should have rehearsed that. (laughs) um, So you are listening to (laughs) Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. In the studio, we have, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, for the first time this year, there is me, Anya, and George in the studio. Yeah. Oh my god! First time this year. I'm pretty sure it is. I was thinking wow. this morning when I was getting ready. I was like, "Is this the first time?" And I think, mm. I think it might just be, which is a momentous occasion. That's, us pop, 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 pop the corks <laughs> and, and celebrate. Woo. Awesome. <laughs> we start with Anya just being like, "Hello." <laughs>
4: We should have rehearsed that.
5: (laughs) And my classic line, how is it February already?
4: (laughs) Aquarius season.
1: What does that mean, George?
4: Um, Hopefully it means everyone's more engaged with politics. That's our oh. take on it. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, let's not, I don't want to waste airtime time on this. George's, <laughs> we'll George's talk about hot <laughs>
1: take on where um, astrology and radicalism meet.
4: Yes, the intersection. Aquarius. I feel
1: like every new season we need to have George do a little take on mm. how does this, what does this mean for radicalism mm. and activism? Mm. How does this, how does this star sign, who would be the most activist and radical star sign, do you think?
4: Definitely Aquarius.
1: Mm. Because, mm. Yeah,
4: they're the most willing to kind of, go out on a limb and do their own thing and stand up for their...
6: And who do you life?
1: think would be the least? Capricorn?
4: Maybe. I mean, I I'll don't, I, me I, I don't know why. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know why Do you know what that means? Can, I, don't yeah. know, I don't know.
1: All I know is that Capricorn's the one that I really don't know much about. So, yeah. And also, I don't have any close friends who are Capricorns. So if I say something about like Capricorns that insults Capricorns, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, <laughs> not, lo- I'm not losing any friendships out of it. <laughs> so, ooh. <laughs> um... So, pretty uh, big show yes. coming up today. We have some we have some exciting things, I guess. Um, we are throughout the show going to be playing, as we did last week, a few little um, snippets from the speeches from Invasion Day, mm-hmm. which uh, I listened back to and. Oh, just, just as good as the first time, really. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really great speeches. So we'll be playing some of those for you throughout the day. Um, at 7.30, George? So hopefully we'll be speaking with Aaron
4: Milvaganam, who we, has been on Tuesday Brecky a couple of times, activist, trade unionist and member of the Tamil Refugee Council, because today is Tamil Oppression Day and there is a rally in the city and there's a lot to talk about and unpack and what mm-hmm. that means, what independence for Sri Lanka from the British actually meant for Tamil people and um, why people are organizing to fight against the oppression that,
1: is, that they're still facing. Yeah, sounds <coughs> like a very important interview. Mm. At 7.45, Anya's going to be speaking with Lydia Thorpe, which is very exciting um, about, you know, obviously she was very deeply involved in the organizing of Invasion Day and, um, It'll be really interesting to have a chat with her about what's next on the cards, how did Invasion Day go and looking looking forward to the rest of the year and what it is that we need to be doing and focusing on. So that's going to be a really, really great conversation. At uh, sort of it's about 7:55 ish, yeah. We have a piece that unfortunately we didn't have time to play last yes, week. so
4: hopefully we can squeeze that in, which is about the upcoming rally on Feb 9th to oppose the religious religious discriminations bill. And that was an interview that James did on In Your Face. It was really really really
1: good with a couple of members from Rainbow Rebellion who are organising that rally. Mm, so there's a rally coming up this weekend about the religious discrimination bill. So we'll hear more about that later. And finally, uh, at 8.10, we have, uh, Victoria Grieve Williams, who is one of the organizers and speakers at the activism conference that's coming up this weekend being put on at RMIT. That looks really, really interesting. There's a whole bunch of activists coming together, uh, talking about just activism in general I guess and we'll we'll learn more about that I know I know George George and I were talking about it on the drive-in here and coming up with a few different interesting things we could chat about so I'm very very excited about that but up now we have our news headlines do you want to kick us off? (laughs)
4: Yeah as always with the absence of Chris this will be interesting but we'll see how we go Um, (laughs) (laughs) um Channel 7 has publicly apologised to the Yolongu people from the Yakala community for misusing footage for a segment on Indigenous adoption in 2018. The Yakala community filed a defamation lawsuit for the misuse of the footage, which was originally used for health promotion in Yakala. The segment featured a panel of non-Indigenous commentators discussing whether white families should be able to adopt quote-unquote abused Indigenous children and even brought in the Stolen Generations as an example to follow of taking children away for their own Benefit. Reported on SBS News, the settlement approved by the Federal Court has ordered Seven West Media to pay the group from Yucala an undisclosed amount of money, as well as cover their legal costs and issue a public apology. The apology was aired last Thursday morning on Seven's Sunrise program, and I'll just read a part of that statement. <coughs> They said the Akala community and those Yolongu families had nothing to do with the story and they have nothing to do with the alleged child abuse and neglect. They do not support any of the comments made in the story. Channel 7 apologizes to the Yukala community and especially the Yolongu people shown in the story and their families for the hurt and distress that the misuse of the footage has caused them. Bit of a win there. Yeah. Mm
5: -hmm. And they settled for quite a bit of money as well. Really? Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. That's good. Yeah, because it would have cost a lot, hey, to mm. go down that path. Um, but, yeah, interesting because I think that often when these challenges are made, they don't go through. Mm. Um, so it's really good to see that. Yeah, against especially
1: against an organisation as, as big as Channel 7. Totally, mm. yeah. As well, so that, that sets a pretty good precedent, yeah. hopefully.
4: Yeah, I, won- I wonder if they'll be more careful in the future with yeah. how they run these stories. Or is it mm. just that they have
1: money and yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's look, no that's me being pessimistic though, and yeah. hopefully they will be more careful mm. in the future as as they should as a media entity
4: yes the washington post has reported that south dakota has passed a bill restricting medical treatments for transgender youth The Republican-dominated House passed the bill on Wednesday. It bans physicians from allowing trans children under the age of 16 access to hormones and being able to have sex reassignment surgery. The vote was 46 to 23 in the bill's favour. It carries a maximum penalty of one year in jail and a fine of up to $2,000. Similar bans have been filed in other states in the U.S. Libby Skarin, policy director for the American Civil Liberties Union of South Dakota, said in a statement that by blocking medical care supported by every major medical association, the legislature is compromising the health of trans youth in dangerous and potentially life-threatening ways. The ACLU intends to launch a legal challenge to the ban. <clears throat> so again, that's a, another watch this space, I suppose.
1: That, that news just made my heart sink when I saw it. It, it really is... It really shows how we have to constantly be fighting Mm. for rights. I mean, especially in light of, say, the religious discrimination bill over here, these things can be wound back Mm. so quickly. Our Mm. rights can be wound back so quickly. I mean, even in in the UK, um, there's a review, I think it's currently underway, or just finishing up, of the use of hormone blockers, like puberty blockers, amongst young, amongst trans kids in the UK and whether or not the NHS can or should provide that Mm. and to what extent and that kind of thing and I mean it's a review that in some ways needs to happen because it hasn't been reviewed since I think 2010 Mm. I think but at the same time there's this fear obviously when this climate of South Dakota winding back laws over here Mm. you've got you know discrimination stuff in the UK it's the country of Brexit who knows what's going to happen especially when they want to cut costs in the NHS you Mm. just really really hope that but whatever decisions made out of things like this.
4: Totally. And then how they might feed off each other. Like if, yeah. if something's passed mm. in, you know, we love copying the U.S. Like we'll see a state do something like in South Dakota and go, oh, maybe we should try it, you know.
1: Yeah, some far right person's going to go, mm. I'm going to do a South Dakota now. Mm.
4: Very concerning. Mm -hmm. And in other news, the Trump administration has extended its travel bans to include people from Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, Myanmar, Nigeria, Sudan and Tanzania. Al Jazeera reports that the ban has been vehemently opposed by immigration advocates and rights groups who argue that it weaponizes immigration law to advance the administration's xenophobic agenda. Mm -hmm. The proclamation will take effect on February 21st and will involve the suspension of visas that ordinarily could lead to permanent residency. People on visitor visas will not be impacted by the ban. Rights groups argue that, and I quote, the Trump administration continues to push white supremacist and exclusionary policies that discriminate on the basis of faith, national origin and immigration status. Very concerning.
5: Yeah. Is there a particular reason or just just blanket
1: banned I don't know I, I didn't think that their countries with quite significant Muslim populations yes. um, that's about it so basically. the original
4: the original ban which was issued during Trump's first first week in office in 2017 was banning immigrants and travelers from seven Muslim majority nations mm. um, and then the policy was revised amid court challenges but the US Supreme Court ultimately, ultimately upheld it in June 2018 So I guess this has been ongoing and then now it's been extended. Mm.
1: The thing that really concerns me, I saw this uh, as as an LGBT asylum activist group saying that, you know, a number of these countries in a number of these countries being queer is is illegal Mm. and in some cases holds quite a significant penalty. And, you know, there are people who are trying to seek asylum because they are queer who will not be able to go to one of the, you know, key points of asylum, basically, a country where, you know, in a number of states at least, not, not including South Dakota, it seems, um, you know, you can, be, you can be queer and you can be safe. And to have that, that entire avenue cut off, that it's really 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 worrying about i mean not just queer people i mean it's everyone i mm. mean we, but just thinking through that angle as well th- there are so many different intersecting issues that yeah, totally. that come out of this th- the least you know the, obviously the, most of which is just blanket racism mm.
7: hmm.
1: and speaking of blanket racism yes. <laughs> good
4: segue <laughs> <laughs> um
1: there's a couple of points of news um about five days ago, we have been speaking every so often, little updates on what's happening in India with the Citizenship Amendment Act. Um, I'm not going to do a full uh, summary of that because that took me quite a while last time. But with the Citizenship Amendment Act, um, it is a, an, a, 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 uh, an amendment to an act that basically provides or um, citizenship to all non-Muslim residents of countries surrounding India. So it's, 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 it's quote unquote meant to sort of protect people who might be minorities in Muslim majority countries. But what it is also doing is effectively saying that Muslims don't can't really come to India. It's a it's an anti immigration bill in many ways. Anti immigration Piece of legislation in many ways and on top of that there are a number of muslims in india who may not have their birth certificates may not have certain documentation that mean that they can prove that they are indian and not um you know and not having you know come to the country that they're not immigrants and so may potentially be at risk on top of that it's just a broadly just an anti anti-muslim deeply islamophobic piece of legislation There's been a lot of protests going on, particularly led by Muslim groups, but also supported by a number of other groups, Mm. especially students. Um, There has been a few different groups of people who have been charged with what's called sedition, which is a piece of legislation. that's a hangover from the British colonial period. And basically what it means is that um, it's when people have overt conduct, such as speech or an organization that tends towards insurrection against the established order which is a law in India, yay British colonialism. And there was a primary school in Karnataka that uh, put on a play, some young kids, this is a primary school, they put on a play, um, from what I can tell, it was a Muslim school or a Muslim majority school. And in the play, they spoke about, the students spoke about the fears of Muslims living in India um with regards to the citizenship amendment act and sang a bollywood song that has become associated with activism with protest against against this act as a result uh, someone made a complaint and the police intervened they not at the time of the show but in the following days they um, interrogated a number of the students these are kids young kids they interrogated a number of the kids. And the principal, the headmistress, of the school and a parent have been arrested. And they are currently in um judicial remand pending further mm. action. So this is quite scary. I mean, this isn't the first time that, that protesters have been arrested for sedition. But the fact that it's now getting into schools and they're going after kids. I mean, they're not arresting the kids, but they're interrogating the kids. It's It's... It's pretty scary. So that is our um, CAA Citizenship Amendment Act update. Um, mm. and the last little piece of note that point of news which is everywhere at the moment there is a leadership spill in the Nationals Bridget McKenzie quit uh, stepped down a few days ago as a result of the whole sports grant debacle from when she was sport minister she's currently deputy, she was deputy leader and minister for agriculture but in, until May 2019 she was sports minister, she provided some grants, it was all a bit dodgy, there was some wrought stuff, obviously it seemed like it was potentially more widespread than that but Um, she as I I suppose fell on her sword as a result of that there is now a leadership spill so Michael McCormack the leader of the Nationals is facing a challenge Um, Barnaby Joyce is putting his hand up so he potentially may come back in Matt Canavan who was the I believe infrastructure minister has stepped (laughs) down from cabinet in order to back Barnaby Joyce so there seems to be a bit of a move behind behind Mm. good old um Barnaby Joyce and Michael
4: McCormick, if I remember correctly, was the guy that said the stuff about people from um islands mm. nations the fruit picking can come here and yeah. pick fruit, they don't need to worry about climate change,
1: yeah, I mean, was it him mm. yeah yeah, yeah he's not he's not so exactly
4: this a is who we're dealing with fabulous person I mean, not but great
5: but names in general, <laughs> <laughs> hence the face of distaste, yeah <laughs> yeah,
1: I could maybe make some kind of joke about fruit picking and and the fact that people make jokes about Barnaby Joyce looking like a beetroot, but I can't find that line Let's just leave that to Michael. There's a a link
4: there, but we can all let our
1: I'm sure sure Michael will be doing that in the party room. Mm -hmm. You know, who knows what happens behind closed doors. But that's what's happening today. So, um, there may well be a new leader of the National Party which means there'll be a new Deputy Prime Minister. So that obviously is a significant thing. Mm. Yeah. And that is the news. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and change makers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change,
2: resilience, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions
1: Film Festival February twenty to march six at Cinemanova and venues across Melbourne. Head to transitionsfilmfestival.com for details. A three CR supporter. This is Tuesday Breakfast on Three C R. The time is seven eighteen AM Coming up now, we have, as promised, a little bit more um, of the recordings from the Invasion Day rally earlier this, well, no, last week. Um, This is a speech from Millie Telford, a Bunjilang and South Sea Islander woman who is the National Director of the Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network. This was one of the um, later speeches on the steps of Parliament House before the march went down Swanson street actually i'm wrong apologies it was one of the earlier speeches once everyone got to uh flinders street so this is uh millie telford i want to call millie telford up to
3: have a yarn yeah. millie telford does some amazing organizing around fracking in the nt and millie's the founder of seed so give her a round of applause Thank you so much. Um, While my family and partner's family is coming up here, can we just have a massive round of applause for all the organisers who pulled off this incredible march today. Now I'm a bit short for this mic, but I'll give it my best chance. Um, I'd like to first start by acknowledging um, traditional custodians of the land that we're on today, Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people. Um, and I want to start today, before I go any further, of acknowledging all the people, communities, all around this country and around the world who are currently and have been experiencing the impacts of climate change and the ongoing impacts of colonisation. And so I want to start with a minute's silence for all the mob, all the First Nations people and people around the world who have lost culture, who've lost lives, who've lost our homes, We've lost our country. A minute's silence. Thank you. As pretty much every speaker has done so today, everyone has talked about country. Country is where they come from. Country that they're looking after. Country that we're losing. Because country is so important to us. It's, it makes us who we are. And if our country is sick, then so are we. And right now, country is really, really sick. Country is calling out for us. All of the impacts that we're seeing, all- the extreme weather events, rising sea levels, drought, extreme heat. It's our way of our mother trying to send us a message, trying to call out to not just us as blackfellas and First Nations people, but to everyone to listen, because it's Indigenous people that need to be at the forefront of this movement that we're building, right? Right? As Uncle Rob said, our land is our law. And it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have been looking after country here for thousands and thousands of years. And yet within a matter of 250 years of colonisation, look where we are right now. Our country is being dug up and destroyed. It's not fair. It's people who've done the least to cause climate change, who are facing the most severe consequences here in Australia and right around the world. And All around the world, Indigenous people are rising up. We're rising up and we're leading the way. We're saying enough is enough, right? As Seed Mob, we talk about climate justice because action on climate change alone is not going to be the change that we need. We we can't continue business as usual. We need to look at the systems that have got us here in the first place colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy. It's the way that some people's lives are valued more than others. It's the way that our women are treated as a reflection on the way that we treat our Mother Earth. It's the way where frackers can be digging up and mining country in the Northern Territory, but that wouldn't happen in the northern beaches of Sydney. It's not fair. Yeah. no amount of money can buy back what we've lost no amount of money can can be compared to what our country means to us and so I ask you as everyone is coming together today this fight, all of these fights that we're facing is connected and our struggles and our movement need to be connected and so I've got a quote, I don't know if people have heard the quote from Sitting Bull a Lakota man um, from the US where he says Um, and if you can put your hands up in the air as individual fingers we can be easily broken but together we make a mighty fist and that's how, and so you put your fists together yeah
2: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Um, and that's how we need to confront this we need to do this together led by black people, led by first nations people and so we have a (laughs) Right now, it's not fair, it's not okay that companies like Origin Energy are, fr- are starting to frack in the Northern Territory. The companies like Adani have been given land. Land that was extinguished, native title native that was extinguished from the Wangan and Jagalingu people to build a new coal mine. We, we cannot afford... New fossil fuels, we cannot afford to continue business as usual. We need to come together, we need to build this movement and First Nations people need to be leading it. And so we have a chant. We have a chant that we made up. you want to do it with me? Remember?
2: <laughs>
3: it's um, inspired by this sign, the hands off our women. So it goes, hands off our women, hands off our mother, protect country. Hands off our women, hands off our mother, protect country. Hands off our women! Hands off our mother! Protect country! Hands off our women! Hands off our mother! Protect country! Thank you. Always was!
2: Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates
8: right across Victoria.
2: It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much brings us all together.
0: Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure and I just, just want to
3: say thank you towards. to all What's of you for What's giving the us the opportunity to morning. speak on air. The
0: bigger the air. reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things... Uncalled.
2: And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online
8: at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars.
0: But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, Helping, giving us a chance to do this It's really good you know It's been going for a while now Hopefully it goes, it keeps going You know like it's, it's good that we can do this And um, get our voice out there As prisoners We can't blame everything on the external So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor Because real power comes from here And it comes from family
6: if you would
8: like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 ACR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice.
2: The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash
1: who we are. This is Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 7.31am. We just heard a song by Kirapuru, Tension. Um, and before that, we had a speech from Millie Telford, uh, a Bunjalung and Saudi Islander woman who is the national director of the SEED Indigenous Youth Climate Network, speaking at the Invasion Day 2020 rally. Up now.
4: Um, we're going to go to some audio from an in your face. Actually, we are going to scrap that. <laughs> um, we're going to go straight to an interview with Aaron um, Milvagenham who is on the line with us now to talk about Tamil Oppression Day. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Aaron.
9: Well, thank you for having me. It's
4: a bit difficult to hear you. Sorry. Um, can, you, can you hear us?
9: I can, I can hear you, but I can hear some echoes.
4: All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so can you tell us a bit about Tamil Oppression Day?
9: Yes, um, Tamil Oppression Day is basically uh, Sri Lanka's Independence Day. Uh, And, uh, you know, when the British uh, rulers left Sri Lanka in 1948, they handed the power over to the the majority uh, Sinhalese who decided to oppress the the Tamil population on the island. It is, uh, for, for Tamil people, it is the day uh, the Tamil oppression started, and uh, and therefore we're marking this day as Tamil oppression day. Um, you know, Sri Lanka is a is a, is a neo-colonial uh, uh, country uh, that's been uh, using singular Buddhist Chauvinism to murder tens of thousands of people over the last uh, 72 years, and in that 72 years. You know, there has been so many discriminatory laws were introduced to uh, uh, to target uh, Tamils. You know, things like Singular Only Act, where you had to speak the, the, the singular language in order to get into government jobs. Um, you know, high university students were disadvantaged. Uh, there were so many discriminatory laws were introduced against Tamils. There were many programs from emergency 58 uh, to, to Black July in 1983, our libraries were burned uh, by the, the Sri Lankan uh, army. And so so many atrocities were committed. Uh, and, you know, uh, from, from the early 80s till 2009, Tamils resisted uh, the oppression through uh, armed struggle that was uh, brought to an end. Um, in 2009, by killing over 100,000 uh, Tamils. Today, Sri Lankan government is led by uh, a man who masterminded the killings in 2009, Gotabaya Rajapaksha uh, who was elected as the, the new president of Sri Lanka two months ago, and uh, you know they 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 have organized uh, Independence Day celebrations and. You know, calling on the Tamil community to join the Independence Day celebrations, but it's not—it's uh, not a day for anyone uh, to celebrate. It should be marked as a as a, as a day of oppression, as a, as a day of mourning. Um, we, you know, as, as Tamils, we're calling on our Sinhalese brothers and sisters not to take part in Independence Day celebrations mm. and stand in solidarity with the Tamil people.
4: That's pretty rich that they would ask the Tamil community to join in the celebration today.
9: That's right. It's um, you know it is it is definitely not a, a day uh, for the Tamil people. Uh, in fact, in in Tamil Ulam, in the, in the north and east of Sri Lanka, uh, there are mass protests organised by the the Tamil community, uh, and and this been going on for many years where Tamils. Market as a as a black day, uh, and um, uh, but you know one thing that I am always conscious of is uh, while it is uh, uh, while we're declaring it as a Tamil oppression day, uh, the the day itself uh, is something that the, the singular people have also lost as well. Uh, the, the oppression of the Tamil people uh, started uh, in 1948. And the, and the losers are not just the Tamil people, mm. but the working single East people mm. as well, uh, as well as the Muslim people, you know. Uh, so majority of the people on the island have lost so much because the British rulers decided to hand power over to yeah. the single Buddhist chauvinists. And, uh, you know, it, it is not a day for majority of the people on the island. And I think, uh, you know, just like the invasion day down here, the, the whole country should be united uh, with the Tamils and not take part in the Indi- Independence Day celebrations.
4: Yeah, and, and so what does, is there a lot of solidarity? What does that look like, um, particularly for Sinhalese people? Is there much engagement and discussion around this day as a day of oppression for Tamil people?
9: Well, there's a lot of uh, progressive Sinhalese people who recognize uh, that Sri Lanka's Independence Day is a, is a problematic day. Uh, but there is no real solidarity, you know, it's, it's not significant, uh, the, the number of uh, support we're getting from the, the, the singular people. In fact, when the presidential election happened in November, you could see the, the divide in the country vast majority of the single east people voted for Gautabaya, rajapaksha mm. uh, uh, and um, and when i'm talking about vast majority like 70 to 80% of the population uh, from the single east areas voted for Gautabaya, a rajapaksha there's a significant uh, number um and uh, in the the tamil areas everyone were united behind the, the opposition candidates. Um, and, you know, that, the, the, the divide was quite apparent. Mm. Uh, we're just hoping that, uh, the, the, the singular people realize how much we have, uh, gone through at the hands of, uh, their armed forces over the last, uh, 72 years.
7: Mm-hmm.
9: I think, you know, the, the Sri Lankan government has been, uh, running a, a huge propaganda machine, uh, over the last 30, 40 years. The, the single-east people have been kept in the dark about what was happening in the in the north and east. We're just hoping that they'll be able to uh, see through that and, and, and realise that uh, Sri Lankan government has actually committed so much atrocities.
4: Mm. There's clearly a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of making this issue heard within Sri Lanka, but also in Australia. If you're just tuning in and talking with Aaron Milvaganam, who's an activist, trade unionist and member of the Tamil Refugee Council. We're talking about Tamil Oppression Day and I want to ask you about uh, what uh, last week's recent announcement from Gautabai Rajapaksa that 20,000 people missing during the war are dead.
9: Yeah so Gotabai Rajapaksha as I said was the the defense uh, secretary when the killings happened uh, or when when the people disappeared um, you know, the war came to an end on 18th of May 2009. Thousands of people, uh, were picked up on trucks and taken by the, uh, the armed forces. And many were arrested, uh, later on as well when they were kept in, um, uh, internally displaced camps, uh, you know, concentration camps. And, um, and so these people didn't just disappear. They were actually handed over by their family members to the Sri Lankan Armed Forces. And the person who was responsible at that time was called to by a Raja Baksha. And uh, it's quite bizarre that uh, uh, he, you know, just declares all 20,000 Tamils mm. as dead without providing any explanation. Mm. Um, the the previous government has also tried to uh claim that as well and um you know Gautabaya ha has made it even more official you know he communicated that uh with the UN as well uh the the members uh, family members of the disappeared they're not interested in uh, getting death certificates uh from Kotabaya what they want is um uh what they want is a uh, an explanation as to yeah. what happened to them, um, you know. Until uh, until recently, Gowtham Rajapaksa maintained uh, zero deaths uh, during the the final days of the war, and and all of a sudden claims that twenty thousand Tamils are dead mm. um, without any explanation, and and he's able to get away when he claims that. You know, the 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 international players just watch in silence.
7: Yes. You know, the,
9: this is what happened to the, the 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 Tamil killings in 2009. You know, we what we were witnessing was uh, the bodies like the United Nations, U.S., U.K., India, you know, and, and countries like China and Russia were backing the Sri Lankan government to murder the Tamil people. Mm. And now this murderer claims that 20,000 Tamils um as uh, as dead and and nobody uh condemns them you know everybody just uh watching in silence as if as if they're powerless you know as the sky is some sort of god yeah. um, it's uh it's it's quite outrageous uh you know uh to be a tamil um you know watching all these um all these ridiculous claims by the president and, and nobody speaks out against it
4: yeah and so, I guess that links to one of my last questions. What kind of solidarity do you think we need to have in australia and and linking to the rally today?
9: well you know we 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 have a terrible government in Australia as well. you know We have terrible governments everywhere around the world uh, nowadays, but uh, Scott Morrison is one of the biggest backers of uh, the current Rajabaksha mm. uh, regime uh, in Sri Lanka. And with that, they treat Tamil refugees very badly. We have got Piriyanades and their two children stranded on Christmas Island. We have got Tamil refugees uh, in detention centres who have spent their entire 2010s uh, in detention. And then they're still in detention because of uh, their involvement um, uh, with the the, the tigers. Um, and, uh, and there's so many Tamil refugees in the community as well suffering. Um, it is all to do with, uh, Australia coming up with a report claiming that everything is fine for Tamils in Sri Lanka. You know, we, we expect, uh, some sort of solidarity, uh, from the Australian people, um, in, in our resistance against the Sri Lankan government and the Australian government. Um, we ask people to take part in this uh, rally today. It's, a, it's going to be a very small rally, but, uh, you know, we haven't organised protests in Australia against the Independence Day in the past, and we hope it uh, will become bigger and bigger mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the future years. Um, we, you know, if you want to be, uh, get involved with Tamil Refugee Council, the organisation that I'm part of, um, please um, give us a call or uh, write to us. Uh, you can get the details uh, online. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I can say. <laughs>
4: yeah, you can search on, um, on Facebook, right? You're on Facebook? That's, that's can right, cancel. and we do have a website yep. as well. Okay, beautiful. So that rally is today from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. at the State Library of Victoria. I hope you get a really good turnout there th- this evening. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Aaron.
9: Thank, thank you for having me, George.
10: Time to get outdoors and lock in your next fitness challenge. Time to tackle Australia's original team challenge, Oxfam Trailwalker, happening in March. You and three mates will journey through 100 kilometers of bush trail within 48 hours. Teams start together, stick together and finish together. Oxfam Trailwalker is a life-changing experience, and every step you take helps raise vital funds to support people living in poverty. Register your team now at trailwalker.oxfam.org.au.
2: A 3CR supporter.
0: Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Monday, 10th of February at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash people.
4: Wear your Radical Radio colours in one of 3CR's new
2: T-shirts The bright new design comes straight from this year's popular Radiothon poster designed by Asia Tufa.
0: T-shirts cost $30 to pick up or $37 with postage So drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy
9: Call 9419
0: 8377 to place your order Or buy one online at
4: 3cr.org.au 3CR Radical Radio T-shirts Get one, one now
5: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio with George, Zoya and myself, Anya, in the studio. Up next, we're talking to Lydia Thorpe about Invasion Day 2020. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lydia.
8: Thanks for having me.
5: Our pleasure. Lydia, I... I mean, everybody knows who you are, but for listeners who don't, um, can you just uh, introduce yourself a little bit?
8: Yes, um, I'm a Gunai gun Gunditjmara woman, Japarang, uh and yeah, just a um, George Grassroots community member.
5: Beautiful. Um, and Lydia, I want to ask about the Invasion Day rally that happened this year. Firstly, the theme for this year's rally was pay the rent. Can you talk to us about what that means?
8: Uh, So, pay the rent is something that our old people came up with over 40 years ago um, when the National Aboriginal and Islander Health Organisation was um, also established, and the people involved in in that organisation at the time, were responsible for setting up Aboriginal health services around the country, and and part of their thinking back then was, how do we uh, self fund and self determine and um, create our own economic independence? And so they came up with this um, notion of pay the rent, mm. um, so that everyday Australians could contribute. To empowering you know our economic base mm-hmm. um we know that government you know still ration out funding and doesn't always reach grassroots people who who need it and so our priorities were identified as uh funeral funds um and and a number of campaigns such as grandmothers against removal uh deaths in custody. And environment, you know, having a seat at the environment and climate table, which um, we were being void of for so long.
5: Mm. And you've been involved in organising these rallies for quite a while now. What are your thoughts on how the, I guess, the public sentiment has changed over the years?
8: Uh, Well, it's growing. You know, people are starting to inform themselves on the true history of this country. And want to know how they can participate in, in making it right. And I think, you know, that's, you know, we need to look at the numbers on the day and they're growing and growing. So I think people realise, particularly now that we're facing this climate catastrophe, mm. that Aboriginal people need to be listened to. We need a seat at the table and it can't be in this tokenistic way that it's always been um, we've got solutions to, to these issues and we want to be part of um, the conversation to address them but we need the resources to do that and you know pay the rent is, is certainly one avenue and we want platforms to be able to, to tell the truth and we want our allies to go out and tell the truth and inform their workplaces and their families Uh, because it's been denied for so long Mm. and buried. Um, Yeah, I think when when people wake up and realise, they they stand with us in solidarity.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to agree that, you know, even from last year to this year, there has been a lot more discourse on social media and people seem to be standing up for the right thing, which is really good to see. And how do we keep continuing that momentum?
8: Uh, well, people can sign up to the Pay the Rent campaign because you know we don't have the resources to to run rallies. We we do it off
7: mm-hmm.
8: our own backs every year. We're also fighting throughout the year for our children to be um, placed back with their family or their community rather than non-Aboriginal homes. Um, and we need to organise and keep the pressure on around death in custody. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do that is to create our own economic base and showing solidarity is, is, you know, contributing to that. And it's it's not asking those people on the ground that are struggling, you know, to put food on the table. It's asking those who can afford it
7: because
8: mm-hmm. uh, we know that, you know, non-Aboriginal people also face struggle everyday struggles of their own. So this is about those that can afford it um, and if if people can't contribute financially there are certainly other ways that people can contribute their time or their expertise
5: absolutely and are there any other campaigns that you wish to tell listeners about
8: uh, well grandmothers against removals is quite a um, you know it's run by volunteers it's it's basically run by elders who have had their grandchildren taken away and grandmothers don't have any legal right to their grandchildren yet mm. you know they've, they've helped raise these children and so we need these GMA's supported out there um, there's no legal representation there's no support when they get to court And this is a growing number, you know, with 2,000 Aboriginal children in out-of-home care in Mm. Victoria. Also, the fact that, you know, this country is is incarcerating 10-year-olds. So we have an increase in 10-year-old children, our Mm. children, being incarcerated right across this country, particularly in Victoria right now. And the international standard is 14, so Australia's got a, you know, it's, it's shameful that we're locking children up, um, at you know when they're babies. A 10-year-old is a baby in my mind,
7: mm.
8: and you know, prison incarceration is no place for them. So there, that's you know, two campaigns that we'll continue to fight, mm. and that we need allies on board with. Um. There's many, many more. <laughs> you know, the climate conversation, there's lots of meetings on climate going around, but, you know, having Aboriginal participation is an afterthought or a welcome to country, and that's not good enough. So we want to be at the table. We have a number of Elders and, and Aboriginal people that have been working in this space for a long time, and they should have a seat at the table to contribute
5: Absolutely.
4: Um, hi Lydia, this is George I just um, I had a question I sort of wanted to circle back to Invasion Day and ask you what your take is on the media and how it framed the rally and whether you think there's still issues in terms of how the media engages or does not engage with Indigenous issues and, and protests and, and that kind of stuff
8: Ah uh, well the right, you know, obviously the right wing media um, are always going to sensationalise what the rally is about. Um, It was disappointing that we didn't have mainstream media at the rally. Yeah. So, I think that's part of the problem. And, and, you know, they know that we've we've got that rally on each year. So, I don't know, they're part of the problem. They need to be part of the solution and provide a platform for truth-telling to occur. We're not angry activists out there. Every invasion day, we're we're calling for solidarity and we're calling for a place in this country that's res- respectful of our rights and and calling on the the end to the injustice against our people. And that's what we want the media to take on board. That you know, if they can't be out there supporting truth telling, then what are we doing? Are we, you know, as a nation, are we just going to continue to live a lie?
7: Mm-hmm yeah
4: i mean it's it's disappointing especially given the fact that these rallies you know attract large numbers of people it's something that they should definitely be reporting on and it's mm-hmm. it's it the omission of that is definitely politically motivated
8: absolutely i mean there's you know obviously right. Aboriginal people are outnumbered at the invasion day rally um, by by non aboriginal allies and that's a um you know that clearly uh shows how much our movement is growing and it it will continue to grow because people out there want to be part of the solution. They want to... um, You know, they can't live peacefully on their land or in their homes on stolen land when we haven't addressed the very um, essence of what is dividing this country and that is how first people of these lands are treated.
5: Absolutely, and before we wrap up, Lydia, what does the rest of the year look like for you?
8: Um, I'm settling into my role at Amnesty International. I'm mm-hmm. the lead uh, for Indigenous Rights, so I'm looking at, um, you know, raising the profile of our rights as, as Aboriginal people in this country, particularly around climate and. And continuing the the work of my predecessor on getting these you know these ten year olds out of prison across the country, mm. other than that, um, yeah, I think that'll keep me pretty busy and,
5: <laughs>
8: and family uh, yeah. and community, so that'll be it for now.
5: <laughs> that sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Lydia. Pleasure, thanks for having me.
0: Serrated tussock is a noxious weed that has impacted our farmlands and environment across Victoria. Similar in appearance to many native tussock grasses, serrated tussock may go unnoticed in both pastures and native grasslands for many years. Victorian Serrated Tussock Working Party has assisted hundreds of landholders to control this noxious weed and they can assist you by offering a wide range of information and management options for controlling this weed of national significance. Visit serratedtussock.com for more information.
10: A three- Time to get outdoors and lock in your next fitness challenge. Time to tackle Australia's original team challenge, Oxfam Trail Walker, happening in March. You and three mates will journey through 100 kilometres of bush trail within 48 hours. Teams start together, stick together and finish together. Oxfam Trailwalker is a life-changing experience and every step you take helps raise vital funds to support people living in poverty. Register your team now at trailwalker.oxfam.org.au.
2: A 3CR supporter.
4: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, racing through as always. So we are going to play an interview now from In Your Face a couple of weeks ago with some members of Rainbow Rebellion, and it's about the upcoming rally on, I think it's a Sunday, this Sunday to oppose the religious discriminations bill and it's it's a great interview they go into a lot of detail on you know on why this bill is something that uh we need to be you know aware of and and against
0: You are and in your face on 3CR with James. Really wrapped to have Rochelle and Lynn from Rainbow Rebellion in the studio to talk about their um, rally on the 9th of February here in Melbourne about the federal government's religious discrimination legislation. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thanks. Where to start, Rochelle? Let's start with you. What's the most hideous thing about this legislation? The most concerning? Everything,
11: <laughs> basically everything. It's, they're, they're it's a horrible piece of legislation. It's just from start to finish, it's about uh, religious privilege and the right to the, the right to give one small group of people the right to discriminate against whoever the hell they want to. Obviously, our community often feels the brunt of that but it's not just our community either and I think it's really important that we're conscious of that that yeah there's been a lot of talk about how these bills are going to impact our community and that's genuinely a really a real concern but let's not forget um, disability communities let's not commit other commit forget (laughs) other minority communities let's not Particularly, let's not forget how it's going to inf- impact communities around, uh, particularly uh, women who've experienced violence, family violence especially. Um, there's huge implications f- for that, uh, which also intersects with our community because, you know, we already know how hard it is already for gender-diverse women or femme-presenting gender-diverse people to access services in that space, and this will just make it even easier for them to be discriminated against. Well, Lynne, I know you're very concerned about the impacts
0: on women fleeing domestic violence
11: situations under this
0: legislation, Tell us about those concerns.
12: Yeah, so a lot of refuges are run by religious groups. So if they have the legal ability to say, I'm not going to help you because you're a single mum, I'm not going to help you because you're a lesbian, I'm not going to help you because you're trans, then that's going to actually put more lives at risk. We've got approximately one woman a week killed in Australia. Cops are getting calls every two minutes for family violence incidents, and the Royal Commission on Family Violence said that there needed to be more refuges, more spaces available, and this is just doing the opposite.
0: So it sounds like that's something that's really kind of, you know, not been analysed and explored, the very high rate of refuges run by religious organisations.
12: Yes, yep. Um, So I think it's about 95% of them are run by religious organisations. And I know that when a woman leaves, Safe Steps gives them crisis accommodation. They could be sitting in hotels for weeks with no emotional support in an area they don't know. They can't tell anyone where they are. They just are very isolated, which heightens the risk of them returning to a perpetrator.
0: Rochelle, tell us about some of the concerns for the trans community in relation to the federal government's religious Where discrimination.
11: Where do, I start? <laughs> Where do I start? I think, look, I think there, there's a whole lot of concerns. I think, um, you know, the trans communities, we've been copying it for years. That's a reality. Uh, it increased with the plebiscite. After the plebiscite, it didn't actually slow down. But in the last 12 months, it's got really bad. You know, um, you look at the, what the Murdoch Press has published in the last six months, there's probably at least 50 articles that there, that have been anti-trans, particularly targeting trans children. And on the back of that is this, we have this situation where we already have a narrative that's anti-trans in the community. And, I mean, it's easy to walk around Melbourne feeling like I'm in a pretty safe bubble. But the reality is it's not always safe. Walking around Melbourne some days is actually a real risk. Um, that's reality. Um... And now we're going to throw into this, this, this idea that someone can say something like that and say, well, that's my religious conviction. It's my, my statement of faith in good faith. It's a statement of belief in good faith. So I can say that to you and you can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter how it impacts you. It just matters that I have the right to say it. Following on with that, the other, like, that's just the general stuff, I think, that's just out in the narrative. Further to that is some of the really specific stuff around, um, access to medical services. And it doesn't just impact the trans community, it also impacts, uh, reproductive health. It's another example where that's really, really critical. Um, the idea that, uh, that a health professional, whether it be a doctor, a or pharmacist, a or counselor, whatever, can refuse to see, to provide service on the basis of, I have a statement of belief that you're broken, you're wrong your identity is not acceptable you're an abomination whatever language they use you know we, we've all heard the language over and over and over in our community for years and years and years um, but the fact that 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 is a defense for why you can't um while you won't provide a service for someone you know like yeah sure you can say hey go to another doctor but that doesn't actually um take into account the damage that's done in that situation also fails absolutely totally fails to consider the fact that we don't all live in the city we don't all we can't all just go okay i'll find another doctor or i'll find another chemist sometimes they're the only chemist that can provide that and if you're a trans person going to a chemist to get a script filled and your chemist says i'm sorry you're trans i think you're a sinner so i'm not going to serve you um you can be, you know, where are you left? What can you do? It's, um, you know, the, and the fact that in the Bill's explanatory notes, the provision of hormones is the example they give, for one, of the, one of the examples they give around the kind of a conscientious objection that can be made. But then they try to make this thing about, oh, no, it means that you, you have to deny the procedure to everyone, but we don't provide hormones to everyone for the treatment regime of cross-sex change. Yeah, there's lots of reasons why we provide hormones. So the actual justification for what the treatment is will be, they'll use that as a way of saying, I'm just going to not, justifying denying service to the trans community will be, oh, well, this is a particular treatment. It's not a general treatment. So providing providing hormones is not a general treatment. There are specific treatments for which you provide those hormones. Sorry, it's a bit of a ramble, but... Um, it's actually a really... It's a real key concern that, um, you know, we, we're already a vulnerable community. You know, we're already a community that, when we don't have support, 49% of us have suicide ideation. That's just a reality. It's a shocking statistic, I know, but it is just the reality of, of what our community is. You know, I I walk around this city pretty safe. I'm pretty tough. But that doesn't exclude the fact that, you know, just today... I was walking through Southern Cross and called a tranny and called a freak and shoved be, shoved from behind. You know, it happens. That's the reality. That's the community. That's the space that we exist in um, and this bill is just going to make it easier for that stuff to happen. Lynn, you must be concerned about the
0: impacts on women in regional areas fleeing domestic violence situations.
12: Yeah, so um, women are normally held back in regional areas anyway. It's a very male-dominated area. And under these bills, women are going to find it harder to leave, harder to find work, because people can say, no, I don't accept a woman in the leadership role because that's my religious belief. A single mum having just left a violent relationship, when she drops her kids at school or daycare or kinder, she can be told every day, you're a sinner, you're denying your child a dad, you're going to go to hell. And that, hearing that over and over again will cause massive mental health problems and you know the Morrison government just really doesn't care about women that's obvious Um, and it's just going to get worse and worse for women as well.
0: So it sounds like the Prime Minister needs to show some leadership and also Take some responsibility for the consequences that this legislation is already causing. People hasn't even been passed, but just the fact that it's being debated must be doing huge mental health damage to all sorts of people, not just in the LGBTQ community, but people beyond. Like you touched on, Lyn. Yeah. Um.
12: Yeah. Well, you know, I've spoken to friends of mine who have said our bosses rubbing it in our faces that he can say what he wants to us when these bills are passed they're not wanting to go to work they're de- getting quite depressed it's taking time away from their families and you know besides that scott morrison's cut the only indigenous domestic violence helps us, helpline in australia he's cut that completely so women indigenous women in rural communities have nowhere to go
0: so there's a strong racist element to this legislation yes.
11: Yeah, it's really, it's very much about white, conservative, evangelical Christianity. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about privileging that space. And in the end, you know, really, let's be honest, Gomo's just got to go. Just got to get, however we can get rid of him, like, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if the governor general would come in and do a golf on him? But um, I don't think that's going to happen. But the reality is, you know, this is one of his pet. This is one of his pets, you know. We all know, we all saw the photos of him in church with his arm in the air praying and we've all seen him sending thoughts and prayers. We've all seen this dialogue from him. This is his pet project. Uh, in his opinion, his community of Christians laughably are oppressed. You know, I've never seen anyone less oppressed, but, you know, that's what it is. That, that, um, as far as him throwing, showing leadership, the best leadership he could show right now is just to resign.
0: Do you think he's clouded by his own religious views and that's oh, why he's pushing this?
11: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you, you can't get past the fact that he's a, he's a Pentecostal with a very much an um, end times kind of theology, and which means, you know, he'll have this, he has, I think he has this idea, you know, they have this idea about the rapture and, well, you know, at the end of the world, the end times, the, the faithful will rise and the rest of us will be stuck behind. And so from, he, he considers himself one of, the, one of the faithful, so he'll be fine. Um, whatever happens, and I think we see that we definitely see that in his response, not just to these issues, but look at the response to into the bushfires, look at his response to indigenous issues, look at his response to so many things, he just doesn't care he stands where, he stands there with that ridiculous smirk on his face and has, you know I mean, for, for goodness sake, he has an empathy consultant to try and make him look like he actually cares, and he still can't do does he really? Do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he Pam Scott, Pam
12: yeah. Scott from the block really? He? yeah,
11: yeah <laughs> How bizarre. I know, right? And how
0: kind of, you know, alarming that a politician actually needs an empathy consultant. Like, wouldn't that be a major selection criterion for the job? One would think so.
12: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So, Lynn, tell us about Rainbow Rebellion, which is putting on the rally in, in protest about this legislation here in Melbourne on the 9th of February.
12: Yeah, so we're a group of people. um, It's led by Ros Ward, who's the co-creator of Safe Schools, and Ali Hogg, who was...
11: Everyone knows Ali.
12: Yeah, just (laughs) everyone knows Ali. And people like Ro and myself and a few others that just are really worried about these bills. So we decide to hold rallies. We held two last year, and we've got the rally coming up a great selection of speakers will be announced Do really tell. soon really we soon <laughs> can't tell yet
11: we can't tell that they will be announced soon though um there will be some great speakers and yeah it's um it's really we've got about fifteen thousand expressed interest in in attending this time so we're hoping that we're starting to see a groundswell of um, resistance
0: So this is part of a series of rallies that are going to be happening every few months in Melbourne.
11: Yeah, I guess we'll have to watch this space. Um, I hope so, because I think that's what we need. But I think there's a lot of rallies going on at the moment. We're seeing a lot of um, rallies around bushfires, around climate change, around that. So I think balancing... The ability and the capacity for people to show up is really important. I mean, I think people should show up regardless, but reality is we do have lives and we do have to live and we have to, we make choices about the things that we rock up for. So I think we, we have to be strategic about this, but we, we just have, we do have to, whether it's on rolling rallies or whether it's other methods of, um, rallying and protesting, we, we have to keep the fight up because we can't let this go through. If we, if this goes through, what else will be rolled back? You know, what will, will we see? Uh, you know, will it give them more impetus to go? Well, let's roll back marriage equality. You know, will it give them impetus to change to to recriminalise gay sex? You know, like this is like, this is really dangerous. This legislation is so damn dangerous that um, to to give. Uh, A so-called secular democracy, a religious privilege for a particular class of people to impose their will upon others. I mean, we've always had religious freedom in this country. We don't need a bill to give us that. And religious freedom is about a person of faith having that freedom to express that faith and practice that faith in their lives. It's not... Religious freedom is not about being able to impose that faith and impose the rules of that faith or the so-called rules of that faith onto people, onto everyone else around you.
0: Lynn, give us the details where people can go to to learn more about the campaign and Rainbow Rebellion.
12: Yep. Look up Rainbow Rebellion on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an event page. And then come down to the State Library at 1 p.m., On the ninth of February,
11: and jump onto the Facebook page. There's a post there about badges. You can proudly wear a Homos Against Scomo badge. <laughs> um, cost you 12 bucks to get three badges: two with rainbow, one Rainbow Rebellion, one Rainbow Rebel, and one Homos Against Scomo. 13 bucks on the Etsy site. It'll help us keep to continue to to activate um, and put on more events, whether they be rallies or whatever. Um, you know, it costs money to put these rallies on. We're all doing it off the out of you know off the side of our desks as it were we don't have we're not being no one's paying us to do this we're doing it because it's important and uh you know in this country there should be no right to discriminate indeed lynn and
0: Rowe from rainbow rebellion thank you so much for joining us today on 3cr thanks for thank having you. us here
8: g'day my name is margie thorpe you are listening to 3cr community radio 855 on your
12: dial
4: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast, and we just heard some uh, discussion from In Your Face talking about the rally, which is coming up this Sunday, 1pm at the State Library, really important one to go and support opposing the religious discriminations bill. There was some pretty hectic content in there, transphobia, queerphobia, and discussions on suicide, and if that brought up anything for you, you can call QLife, which is a service specifically for... LGBTIQA plus people They're open every day 3pm to midnight And the number is 1-800-184-527 And there's also Lifeline On 1-311-14 We're going to go to a track now From one of my favourite artists This is Kelsey Lu And this track is called Due West
2: Worship the ground That you walk on below Your pedestal My mind put you on to a throne, soon enough I'll outgrow. Didn't know my feet were too big for my shoes, running in them led me to bruise. Falling over, running home to you. You had put my fingers and toes turning blue, so afraid of cutting me loose. you
1: to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR um, the time is 8.17 we are coming towards the end of our show but uh, leaving the best to last I suppose <laughs> I like to say it because it's my interview <laughs> Uh, we have in the studio Vicky Grieve williams um, an academic from RMIT University. Good morning, Vicky. Good morning. Um, you're going to talk about a fantastic conference that is coming up next week. But just to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
6: Well, um, I'm an Aboriginal person. I have been since I was born. <laughs> and... Um, Uh, My family, uh, my mother's family comes from the mid-north coast of New South Wales, and my father's family is from Tasmania. Mm. My um, paternal grandmother was a Tasmanian woman, though we can't find out much about her, but um, most definitely from all the photographs, I think a Tasmanian Aboriginal woman. Um, And um, I'm a historian. Um, I've had a fascination with history since I was very small, and... um, I've increasingly worked in interdisciplinary ways to progress Indigenous knowledge production in the academy. So I've started to work in theoretical ways uh, to do with Aboriginal philosophy and epistemology as a basis for knowledge production in Australia.
1: Mm. And what do you mean by um, epistemology? I mean, we can kind of, sort of just break down what epistemology means, I suppose. Yes, well, it's um, a big word for something that's
6: really uh, quite simple. Um, Epistemology is um, a knowledge base, Mm. really. Yes, you've caught me out a little bit. I wish (laughs) I had
1: the full (laughs) definition right in front of me. 8.20 in the morning, it's unfair of me me to be asking you to break down epistemology (laughs) when in reality you're coming in to speak about um, you are a keynote speaker, I believe, at a conference next week called Activism at the Margins. What is this conference?
6: Well, the uh, the conference came about through the agency of Olivia Guntarek, who's an academic at RMIT, who's um, done an amazing job. She's a very interesting thinker, Olivia. And um, she actually invited me to contribute a chapter to a book she was developing about media and activism and then when she and i got talking she asked me to co-edit the book with her so it's been a wonderful journey the last two years Mm. co-editing this book and um and as a result of that we thought how wonderful would it be to bring people together who are actually um doing critical analysis of activism and what it means and what it can achieve and what directions it needs to go in and so on. And, um, so the conference came about. And that book is being launched at this conference. Uh, we've got such a wonderful lineup of speakers for this conference that we've actually started to think tentatively about volume two mm-hmm. <laughs> for the book. And, um, we'll be looking out for, you know, whether that will work or not from the papers that are being given at this conference. Mm-hmm. But, um, activism is such a timely thing to be thinking about. Um, in this um, age of humans, we're uh, moving inexorably into the Anthropocene. And I think it means that all of us are going to have to become more active. Mm. And I think already in Melbourne, for example, a lot of people who never thought they'd be out on the street have come out on the street over things like SOS Black Australia and Invasion Day. And the really wonderful thing is that um, Aboriginal people here are forming alliances with other people from the margins. So that's why we've called this conference um, Activism from the Margins because we can all feel uh, very stressed and pressured and um, even depressed about our situation in society and we need to reach out to other people who are also on the margins and and form alliances and increase the dialogue and come by better and productive ways of bringing about social change
1: absolutely and and so looking at the conference description it seems like as you were saying the book is about activism in the media there seems to be there's going to be a lot of conversation about activism in the digital age and then you talk about bringing everyone together and activism being something that we all of us at the margins and our variety of different ways need to come come together I was having a chat with with George uh, on the way into the studio today and we were talking about the idea of Of, um, community as activism, the building of community as an activist, as an activist thing. Um, what do you think about that as an idea? Absolutely. You know, um,
6: I'm, I'm, I feel very honoured to be here at 3CR. I mean, this is a community radio station and and what a wonderful thing. And it survived over, I think, more than 40 years. Mm. So perhaps the first, um, of these community radio stations that were set up in Australia. And, um, you know, radio as a form of media has absolutely bridged the gap between people mm. uh, and, um, and allowed, you know, the voices of ordinary people to get out there into the airwaves. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the, the opportunities for that have been extraordinarily su- exciting. And now people are involved in more in social media and so on, but... It has its advantages, but it also has its limitations. So there's nothing like getting around your kitchen, cleaning up after breakfast and listening to radio as, <laughs> as you're doing it, you know, that kind of thing. And this is how we can increase uh, information and education and dialogue. So, yes, and building community is perhaps one of the most radical things we can do because I believe that in this age all the forces are tearing us apart. So what's happening is a huge amount of family breakdown, for example, uh, family, kin and community are breaking down perhaps more than ever. And if we can find ways to stop those kinds of processes from happening, we're going to build happier and more productive lives and be able to deal with the bigger issues that are going to beset us as time goes on.
1: Yeah, that's such a beautiful way of putting it. It feels really lovely for you to be saying this kind of stuff about the importance of community building and media and things like radio breaking down these barriers while we're sitting here in the studio. It feels, it feels really, really special. Looking at the conference itself, who are some of the kind of Really exciting people who are speaking. You're saying you're looking at the conference, at the program just now and kind of going, wow, this is all amazing. But who do you think are some of your kind of, oh my gosh, this is really, really cool kind of people in the conference?
6: Well, I have to say that I'm, I'm very happy to be able to bring in defenders of country. Mm. Um, I mentioned it to Olivia and she jumped on the idea straight away. So we've got, um, Aboriginal people from across the nation, uh, coming into Melbourne, to talk about the particular struggles that they have at their local area. Uh, and amongst those are Willie Brim, who um, has used reggae and YouTube to promote the value of his culture, the culture of the rainforest people, rainforest balmer from Kuranda in North Queensland. And Willie was part of a reggae band formed in the... Late 1970s, that was um, that came to Brisbane for the Commonwealth Games protests and things like that, where they met other Aboriginal people from all around Australia, including people from the band No Fixed Address, and um, they've had a close association ever since. And of course, music is a very powerful vehicle uh, for ideas. And um, you know, Willie, he's a very exciting person you know, to to talk about now he has in transnational connections mm. with other reggae artists who actually visit him in the rainforest in Kuranda. And, um, you know, he, he's got very important things to say. But who do I light on next? I mean, there's such an array of speakers. Um, of course, uh, we couldn't go past inviting Gary Foley to be a keynote. Uh, he's much loved in Melbourne. I understand, and people love to come out and hear him speak. A very entertaining speaker, but more than that, Gary has got more of a grasp of Aboriginal history and historiography than any other historian in the country. Um, so, you know, he's a very important person to have involved um, alongside that we've got people like Dennis Altman who is perhaps the original uh, leader of the gay movement in Australia and um, he's now reflecting back on a lifetime of activism in LGBTIQ um, uh, arenas. Um, Adrian Baragaba is coming and of course Adrian has been at the forefront of the fight against the Adani coal mine. Mm. Um, that is, uh, you know, the threat from that mine is a global threat. Yeah. Absolutely. It's extremely important. I think indigenous people around the world have got uh, what they see as a responsibility to protect their country, not just for them, their family and kin and community, but for the rest of the world. Absolutely. You know, I remember when they started the uranium mine at Jabaluka, the Aboriginal people up there who are now probably long past were saying, uh, this will impact on the world. We need to stop it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, 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 that's, and that's something we speak about a lot here at 3CR. Um, Vicki Grieve-Williams, I'm really sorry, but we are running out of time, unfortunately. I could talk about this all day, and we've somehow managed to put together a really great thematic show about different protests, different activism, and you speaking about the importance of it has capped it off so, so beautifully. Um, the activism at the margins, Stories of Survival Resistance and Social Change, is on 10 to 12 February. Um, tickets can be got through Eventbrite. Um, they are, there are cheaper tickets for students and unwaged people. Um, further details about the, everything we had on the show will be up on our website. Um, and, yes, this was Tuesday Breakfast, and it was a really, really great show. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much.